With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome to F1 Nation with me, Tom Clarkson. Me, Natalie Pinkham. And Pedro de la Rosa. Guys, how are you? Muy bien. Very good. Thank you, Tom. Hello, Natalie. Nice to see you again. It's lovely to see you again. It's been a while, actually. We're here to talk all things Qatar Grand Prix. But before we do that, Pinks and I were both in Japan. You weren't, Pedro. What did you make of the Japanese Grand Prix and, well, the performance of Max Verstappen in particular? Well, I think that it, it was not a surprise, really, no, uh, to see Max uh, dominating again in a circuit that was very much... Uh, build or design for the Red Bull uh, strengths and especially also to his strength because how quick he was through the S's was uh, mind-blowing. I mean, if you look at the speed differential of Max uh, against anyone else through the S's was stunning. And then after that, if you are quick through the S's, you control a bit the slide of the car through the S's, your tires are in so much better shape for the rest of the track. So uh, he was just faster than anyone in qualifying through the S's. Then in the race, he could actually uh, control the tire deck with his speed over those uh, high-speed corners, fifth, sixth-year corners. And that was that, really. You know, the, the surprise for me, Tom, was how quick and how consistently quick were the, the two McLarens. I thought that they were going to fa- be competitive, obviously, but that competitive, compet- more competitive than the the, the Ferrari, the Mercedes, us, Aston Martin. It was it was very good for for McLaren, definitely. They were very strong, and especially Lando was super strong uh, during the race as well. Very consistent. Well, so was Oscar. To be fair, yes. No, it was nice to see him on the podium. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And also, I mean, he was so fast uh, in quali. He was uh, he did the best of the starts. He could have. Uh, basically challenge Max on the first corner uh, but Max uh, being Max <laughs> he was he was very quick on the on the you know just very very defensive and very aggressive on the outside of turn one and two so but anyway anyway it was a, it was it was an interesting race you know okay let's forget a bit about Max as well in the in the during the race but after that the battles for second third fourth fifth position were were really really interesting between teammates as well there was a lot of action although with a clear dominator which was Max but we we are we were all expecting that Tom after Singapore I think no one really expected to arrive to to Suzuka and seeing a different picture now as interested as I am to hear your views on Max and McLaren, I'm keener to get the inside word on Aston Martin because Fernando in eighth, I mean, it's obviously better than Singapore, but it's nothing like how you started the season. And do we know any more about the DNF for Lance? Do we have more insight on that? Well, I mean, there was obviously a concern about the rear wing and that's why he, they, the, the team decided to stop him, you know. I mean, it was okay on Fernando's car, but it was not okay on, on Lance. He's really had a bad run of uh, bad luck in the past few races, but uh, we will see. I mean, Natalie, it's it's what it is, you know. At the end of the day, there's a lot of teams pushing for development. They have, uh, McLaren has made a huge step uh, and we shouldn't underestimate as well the, the rest, like Mercedes and Ferrari. And uh, there will be circuits that are stronger than others and definitely the, 
I thought eighth position might sound uh, not too spectacular, but actually he was very close to the Mercedes and the Ferrari in the fight. Although strategic decisions because of the attack from uh, from the Alpha Tauris with soft tires, you know, uh, being undercut in the first stop really led Fernando into a position of, uh, and then he lost a lot of time with Ocon in that middle stint. Anyway, I thought that it was a very good race considering our pace. But we're working flat out, so it's not it's not the end of the season. I mean, let's not forget this. But have you had to manage the expectations of the team? I mean, not not you personally, but the team as a whole, because there was a time when you went into a race weekend expecting, or at least certainly hoping for, a podium, and now there's had to be a major shift, hasn't there? Well, I mean, I think that we are still approaching every every race weekend with uh, with uh, you know doing the same uh, procedure and uh, having the same expectations as the beginning of the year knowing that the competition is fierce and it will be more difficult. But look at the, at Sambor, for example, you know, we were then suddenly fighting for the victory at one point in the wet conditions, changeable conditions as well. So that hasn't changed in the team and uh, it's part of uh, our approach to every Grand Prix. However, we know it's more difficult because uh, there's more teams to fight for, uh, for podium. Uh, but what are the differences between us? You know, it's two, three tenths. And you're suddenly fighting for a podium, two, three tenths, and you are like out of Q3. So it is uh, fantastic to see the the level of competition out there and how close it is between four or five teams. Let's let's try to forget about Max for once. And then we have a Singapore Grand Prix then, you know, where anyone could win. So Formula One is getting to a point that it will, and especially looking strong at the end of the year and for next year where... There will be, I think, four or five teams that could win a potentially a race. And we can conclude then that the new regulations that came in last year are actually doing their job. I think that there's a combination of factors that have made uh, the, the Formula One grid and will make the Formula One grid converge into a very tight few tenths, which I hopefully think that it will bring the driver effect back on top. You know, I think that uh, we will see that the best drivers that those drivers that give those that that extra one or two tenths will be on demand will be more important as well and they will be the biggest differentiator in the future of formula 1 hopefully you know i mean that's what any driver wants no just to be the the key factor in the equation which at the moment we have to admit that for uh, you know we the race drivers are not it's more the car well just look at sergio perez lando norris has scored more points than perez since the Austrian Grand Prix, since McLaren introduced their upgrade at the Austrian Grand Prix, Lando has outscored Perez. It's an extraordinary stat when you look at the difference in car performance. But look, what about Qatar then, team? First up, it is another sprint race. We've got a double of sprint races coming up, both in Qatar and then two weeks later in Austin. Pinks, are you all over the format for sprints? Remind us. I love a sprint weekend because you get entertainment every single day for anyone that can't remember you get a practice session in the morning on friday you get quali on friday for the race on sunday so that keeps you on the edge of your seat then saturday is like a standalone sprint day with qualifying and the sprint itself on the saturday and then the race is normal on a sunday what's not to love yeah i i was quite critical of the sprints initially but the the more sprints uh, we we experience the the more fan i am of of one of them although it's hectic for for the formula 1 teams and and for the drivers as well because they they have no 
no second really to play with setups or try new parts. You just have to gamble on, ma on many decisions at one point. But that's also the interesting part of the sprint races is that the fact that the drivers have no time to get any better. You know, they have to adapt to what's thrown at them initially on the Friday, one hour, and then bang, it's uh, after that, it's, it's, it's you, you just play with the front flap angle of the car during the whole weekend because you cannot really change anything else after the first uh, free practice session. And 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 if if your setup is not right, you as a driver, you just have to adapt to whatever decision you took after free practice one. And, and that's what I like about the sprint sessions is that you see drivers adapting to cars that are not perfect with many, many question marks. And so it rewards the better drivers. Again, like you, what you were saying about the regulations rewarding the better drivers, do the sprint races do that as well? Yes. I definitely think that if we went into a, a weekend, a race weekend, with no free practice whatsoever. Imagine that we arrive to Qatar next weekend and we go, uh, forget free practice one. We went directly into the qualifying, uh, you know, on the fr Friday afternoon, which is uh, definitely the, the, the old qualifying uh, format. We went directly into the qualifying. No free practice. Q1 straight away. I mean, how <laughs> stressful and interesting would it be? Just to see drivers pushing it to the limit from Q1, not knowing the compounds, the setup, the circuit, you know, I mean, imagine Qatar, new surface, new possibly modified uh, curbs. Uh, I don't know, but uh, there should be some difference uh, introduced for, from, from 2021. And then suddenly you just have to adapt to all that. I think the fans would love it. It would be massively stressful for the drivers, but how cool would, would it be? It's kind of ironic then that. Max hasn't been a huge fan of the sprint weekends, isn't it? I mean, I would have thought he'd relish it. Well, I think that the the, the best drivers would would adapt faster than anyone, and also the ex more experienced drivers. I mean, let's let's be realistic. Imagine if you're Piastri, you're Oscar, and you are going to a Grand Prix with no free practice whatsoever. You know, it it, it wouldn't like Suzuka. It was his first ever Suzuka. The guy adapted fantastically well we have simulators nowadays so it's not like in the old days but even so it would definitely favor the experienced drivers that's for sure it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run it's only for the fans after all it's only pressure you got this Adidas. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Okay, well, let's just remind our listeners about LaSalle because we had the inaugural race in Qatar back in 2021. We didn't run the race last year because of the Football World Cup. It is a MotoGP circuit. We know it's very bumpy. We also know there's been modifications. But most of those have been to the fan zone. So the fan area and overall capacity has risen. It 
has had some safety upgrades and it's got larger pit boxes. The most pit boxes on the calendar, TC, is that right? Amazing. 50, 50 pit boxes. The teams are going to have more space than they know what to do with. So apparently the hospitality areas are insane, off the charts, the envy of every other racetrack in the world. So that's going to be very exciting to see. But in terms of the racetrack itself, Pedro, what do you know of it? You've driven it on the sim. Who do you think it's going to favour? Well, I think that it is an extremely high-speed track, medium-high speed. It's dominated by a lot of fourth, fifth, sixth-year corners. So we are looking at minimum speeds of about between 180 and 220 kph. So in a way, it reminds me a lot about Suzuka. The type of uh, of speed, of change of direction, uh, the setup that we run there will be quite quite similar. I think that the cars that were competitive in Suzuka will be competitive in in Qatar because of the nature of layout of the track. There's many unknowns though, uh, Natalie. So we we don't really know the asphalt grip, how grippy it will be with the new surface, uh, what type of changes, if any, to the curbs. There's many unknowns. Uh, however, what we know is that Pirelli are bringing the hardest compounds, uh, the C1, C2, C3, which are the, basically the same they brought at Suzuka. And uh, it no matter no matter how how grippy it will be, it's a very demanding track on the tires and extremely demanding on on the on the high speed balance of the cars. So, given everything you've just said, Pedro. It's looking like a Max Verstappen Red Bull kind of track with Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri in the McLaren's closest. Is that your prediction going in? No, I hope to be wrong. I mean, I, I just <laughs> being scientific, if we look at the layout of the track by itself, uh, then it should be a carryover from Suzuka. You know, whoever was quick in Suzuka should be competitive in, in Qatar. But having said that, there's so many unknowns, you know, and uh, this year we've learned that we we have no idea what's going on really uh, to which cars will be competitive at which tracks we you know i mean who was going to say that uh, carlos sainz driving the ferrari would win in in singapore it was unthinkable especially uh, considering the the performance level of the you know of the red bull the aston martin in monaco but we went to singapore and uh, the ferrari is dominated so i don't know i just i i just think that there is a lot of reason to think that uh, the Max will 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 have a an interesting and easy possibly uh, evening in Qatar. As a quick reminder, the first time that this race was run, Hamilton came first, Verstappen second, and Alonso third. Hmm, I wonder what odds you'd get on that podium being repeated this time around. It is important to say though that Max Verstappen is very likely to clinch his third consecutive world title in the sprint in the sale. So there's a bit more entertainment and drama thrown in there. Verstappen has 400 points in the driver's standings, and that is 177 clear of his teammate Sergio Perez. There are 180 still on the table, so he needs three more, just three more points from the remaining six races. If Perez finishes outside the top three in the sprint, then Max is the champion, regardless of his position. So cue celebrations to carry on from those in Japan when Red Bull made it back-to-back world champions for the team for the sixth time in the team's history. In summary, he will win it either Saturday or Sunday. It's yeah? most likely Saturday. And that will be a first, of course. No one has ever won the world title in a sprint race. There you go. And now I tell you what, that will be a great pub quiz question in years to come. 
another interesting stat is that Rebel have never finished one two in the table, and that was something that Damon reminded Christian Horner of amidst the wild celebrations in Suzuka. Christian was like, "Oh yeah, cheers for cheers for that, Damon." Cheers for that dampener. But the point is, they still have that to go for, which is, um, you know, they've always got to have targets, haven't they? By their own very high standards. Let's discuss that because Perez is, what, 33 points uh, ahead of Lewis Hamilton. We've got six races to go. Three of those are, are sprint races. Do we think Perez can hold on to second or is Hamilton or... You know, Alonso behind Hamilton, can they beat Perez? Slightly early in this season, I did make the prediction that Lewis Hamilton would finish second in the driver's table. And I got a lot of criticism, not least from our friends in Mexico. Um, I understand why, because Sergio is an incredible driver. And I think he'll be hugely frustrated with the way things are going, because we all know that he's better than the results are suggesting. We all know that this is a rocket ship of a car. So he should be up there and he absolutely should be coming second to Max Verstappen. Will it happen though? I, you know, Suzuka was was a worrying time for Checo because he, he qualified sort of down the order slightly. We thought oh, he'll be able to carve his way field, but then I think you said it, TC. It seems slightly desperate on his part. He was going for moves that, as his own called them, were were slightly optimistic. I think that is the point. He is good enough, and he has a good enough car to finish second. But it depends on how quickly he can shake off. The, the, the two weekends that he's had. Actually, Singapore was a bad weekend as well, wasn't it? He he crashed into Yuki Tsunoda on the opening lap and Alex Albon in, in Singapore. And then, of course, it was Lewis Hamilton on the opening lap in Japan and then Kevin Magnussen at the hairpin. He's got to stop crashing into people and just have a clean weekend. When we came back from the, the summer break, he said, what I need to do in the second half of this season is have clean weekends. And yes, he did that in Monza, didn't he? But it, it hasn't happened since. So he's got to overcome those issues. It's all purely psychological for him. And if he can, he will finish second. If he if he can't, he won't. It's as simple as that. Yep, very true. And all the while, Lewis Hamilton is quietly creeping up on the inside, just you know, gathering decent halls of points with plenty more on the table with the sprint weekend. You know, Lewis knows how to win races. He can't do that at the moment, but he also knows how to come in and, and get podiums and, you know, a decent bag of points at each race weekend. So I really wouldn't ever write Lewis off. However, I would say that if you consider the, the season so far, I mean, uh, how many points uh, Checo has lost for for crashes, for not qualifying well, for whatever problems he's encountered. And he's still lying second, you know. The moment that things just go normal for him there's no crashes he finishes races he picks up points uh, regularly it's clear that he will finish second let's not forget that uh, for, for all of us you know i mean aston martin mercedes ferrari uh, mclaren we are all in in two three tens so uh, we are going to fight for the same points and uh, take many points from each other so it won't be easy to make big strides in the next few races so but anyway let's let's wait and see it's an interesting uh, sprint to the end of the season well and, and you mentioned sprint and of course just to emphasize that if max finishes sixth in the sprint this coming Saturday, he is going to be a triple world champion. It's it's a phenomenal run. And then it's all eyes on can Perez finish second. Do you think Verstappen will help Sergio finish second? Could we see him moving over, perhaps giving him a win? Is that even in his DNA? I, I doubt it somewhat, but <laughs> Pinks is shaking her head. <laughs> I mean, I think the whole point of why Red Bull have been so dominant this season and Max is... 
there's a ruthless streak in both Max and Christian Horner. They're hugely competitive people. They're meticulous. They're thorough. They have an incredible work ethic. But crucially, there is that ruthless streak which winners need. And it isn't about having empathy for who finishes second. You know, I do. what's in it for Max to do that? I mean, I'm not a racing driver, Pedro. You tell me. I think that it it very much depends. If if it if helping your teammate means that you are going to keep winning, that's fine, you know. But if you're going to give away uh, wins just for the sake of helping your your teammate, it it doesn't. It's not good for the for the team. It's not good for Max. It's not good for anyone. But the the, the question really is. Is once that Red Bull has already uh, been crowned world champion in the constructors' championship and the drivers' championship, very in a few days, uh, what what is what is there really a a need or it, what what is it to finish second for Checo? Does it mean a lot? I mean, because if it means a lot, then I would understand, you know, that uh, maybe maybe Max will help. But it has to mean something special for the team and for Checo to finish second. I personally think that finishing second doesn't mean anything at all. You're still finishing behind your teammate. The team has already achieved the World Constructors Championship. So anyway, I, I wouldn't give it too much uh, importance to the second. I, I think for, for Checo, I think it's a huge thing to finish second. If he doesn't finish second in that RB19 the team will not look favourably. It, it's sort of, it, every time they look at the results sheet at the end of the year, they're just going to be reminded of how Checo has misfired this year. And I think it could speed up his exit from the team, quite frankly. I think I think his future at Red Bull might even depend on that second place. No, no, I agree. And, and this is that's why I ask, you know, it's fair enough. It's Does it mean a lot for Checo, you know, on a personal level to finish second? But what Checo wants is not to finish second because Max helped him to finish second. He wants to finish second because he deserves to be second and he, he's uh, capable of getting the points of, of finishing second because even if he finishes second just because Max helps him, it won't change anything from Red Bull's decision, future decision, if he is not capable of actually fighting for his, his own corner. So uh, anyway... You know, I think it's something for them to decide. I think at the end of the day, uh, it doesn't really matter what the team says. Sometimes you speak with your teammate and you say, look, Max, uh, it means a lot to me. You know, I've been uh, fighting for this. Uh, it's a, my dream. And uh, OK, it's not big being world champion, but it's still second. And it's always uh, very nice for my CV or for my... I don't know for my my stories to my grandchildren, you know, to be able to explain that I finished second in the in the world championship, Formula One world championship. Let then then it's fine. I'm pretty sure Max will help, but it it, it just depends. I I just don't give too much credit to a second in a world championship when your teammate has won so easily. I I totally agree with you that he's not going to want to be helped to second, but I also disagree that if Checo goes and says. You know, it would be great if I did. I don't think Max would help. And I don't and I don't mean that as a criticism of Max. This is the guy, and you'll need to remind me of the race, TC, where he risked everything for the fastest lap. And it didn't make any difference. It was just a statement of intent, and it was just his way of asserting himself all the more in the team to get the fastest lap right at the end of the race. He came in for an extra pit stop. Oh, he's done that a few times. But, th- yeah, but where was it? When was it when it made Adrian Newey really nervous? Because he came in. 
Do you remember Newey was telling us? He said, oh, God, that yeah, was yeah, nerve-wracking. Yes. And it didn't make any difference to the constructor's points. It was just Max's way of saying, don't get any ideas. I take Faster's lap as well. But also just when, you, when you're thinking of the relationship between Max and Checo, think back to Brazil last year when, uh, you know, Max was not helping Checo, was he? So um, maybe we're answering our own question here as to whether <laughs> Max is going to help Checo yeah. finish second. But uh, but it, this is a nice segue, guys, into talking about Mercedes, because, of course, we saw Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Well, they weren't talking straight after the race in Japan, were they? Because I think uh, George felt that he'd been slightly done over by the team uh, in terms of he was trying. He was hoping that he could use uh, Lewis Hamilton as a buffer to slow down um, Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari. It didn't happen. Of course, they're now everyone's claiming that, you know, all's well that ends well. I caught up with George in Japan. He is uh, my guest on this week's F1 Beyond the Grid. And he is very confident about competing with Lewis Hamilton, the seven-time world champion. Every single weekend I go out, practice, quality, race, you are directly compared to the greatest driver of all time you know that gives me the benchmark and also I don't think I've ever been pushed in my whole career like I've been pushed in these last year and a half so to see that I'm swimming and and swimming well gives me so much faith in myself so much confidence that I, I always had but there's sort of no doubt now I truly believe in myself the team believe in me and that's been really down to the fact that I've been teammates with Lewis and and, and held my own I tell you what is interesting, Tom, is that the dynamic between a seven-time world champion and Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. Okay, he's no longer a rookie, but and he's he's kind of more and more established in the team now. But I find it really interesting because at some point there's going to be a changing of the guard at that team, and it's how hard does Russell push it now in order to sort of gain authority, gain acceptance, and and obviously that mistake in Singapore. He said himself, didn't he? What am I, a rookie? That was a, a mistake that felt about inexperience. It didn't feel like a mistake that Lewis would make. So I feel that George is keen to assert himself at the moment. He wants to forget Singapore and say, you know what, I can be a team leader. And there's no doubt that he can. He's just not quite to the level of Lewis yet. But at some point, there's going to be a sort of handing over of the baton, if you like. George Russell is one of my favourite drivers, I would say. And it's because he's been put together with uh, Lewis Hamilton. And then we have managed to realize his true performance level, his true potential. And that's why we like, or I like him so much. It's just that he's stunningly fast, consistently fast. And uh, some, you know, a lot better, to be honest, than what I expected. He has the quality to become world champion. What were you expecting, Pedro? Well, I was expecting someone... Uh, fast, definitely. I mean, if not, he wouldn't have achieved what he had achieved, but not as consistently fast and uh, close to, to Luis. There's some weekends where George, you would say, he has the the, the edge on Luis, some others that Luis has the edge on, on George. I thought that he was going to be close, but always one step behind Luis. That was my feeling. And when he was at Williams, there was always the question mark of, well, let's see when he's together with uh, with Luis when he raced for Mercedes uh, when when Luis uh, had covid you remember uh, and he substituted him in 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 Bahrain but we always said well it was a strange 
uh, layout of Bahrain. It was uh, a strange race as well. He was very competitive, but the Mercedes was dominant back then, and uh, you know, and you, Luis was not racing. So now that we've had one and a half seasons together with Luis, uh, you can say that he's performed at an incredible level, an incredible level, and he should be very proud. And he is definitely proud. You know, I think very good things will come out from George in the future as well. But what is the message that he has to remain patient and wait a couple of years at least for Lewis Hamilton to retire and then he becomes number one? Or has he has he actually got to beat Lewis Hamilton to prove that he is, he is the man to, to take the crown, if you like? Don't forget, TC, he's been incredibly patient all his career. Remember how patient he was at Williams? When he could see like his his mates in in Alex up at Red Bull and Lando at McLaren and they you know getting decent results, he just held his own and just held his breath and said, "No, I will get there eventually." I really like his attitude as well because he's modest and he's humble and prepared to take advice from Lewis, but he's not a pushover either. He's not overawed by being in a team with a multiple world champion. So I think you know that ticks a lot of boxes. He's level-headed. He's kind of mature. And he's prepared to be self-critical as well in the same way that, say, Charles is, because, he, you know, he will take himself off and, and talk to himself. Remember, remember the start at Silverstone when Joe had the big crash and George took a lot of responsibility for that in that moment. He was really sort of self-reflective and, you know, it was the same in Singapore. He beat himself up about it, but he's also learned from it. So he's a work in progress, there's no, no doubt. I don't know how long <laughs> that um, timeline is for him, but I guess it will be, as you say, when Lewis ultimately retires, that he will take over from the team. But he's got a long career ahead of him, no doubt. But he already beat uh, Lewis last year, no, to the points. So, I mean, f first, yes, first year and a pole position win. Uh, Lewis couldn't win any race that year. It was a very difficult car. Remember porpoising, blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't know what... What he should wait for, he he ha he just has to keep finishing and doing the job he's doing, and eventually, when Mercedes brings a, a car that is uh, more competitive, he will win. He's in such a good position right now with that talent sitting, you know, uh, sitting behind, you know, uh, under his legs. I think that he has uh, he will have no limits in the future. Okay, let's throw it forward to next year. Who is going to challenge Red Bull closer? Do we think McLaren, Mercedes? Ferrari or someone else? You're forgetting about Aston Martin as well. <laughs> uh, of course. I, we are all working flat out. So. <laughs> Talk about offending our guests. <laughs> Hamilton said in Japan, didn't he, that we, Mercedes, need the greatest six months of car development in our history if we're going to challenge Red Bull next year. Do we think they can do it? Do we think Ferrari are closer? Do we think McLaren are closer? Do we think Aston Martin, Pedro, I'm paying homage to you, do we think they can make another jump next year? Well, I think that the most important thing really is to close the gap. You know, let's uh, slowly creeping and uh, closing the gap to the to the fastest car. You know, that's the, the aim of... Uh, I, I don't think on a linear uh, development. So, you know, you see the gap to Red Bull and you think, okay, X amount of tenths, this translated into aerodynamic points means that we have to find X amount of points in the winter. I think that the, the development is not linear, as linear as that. It's it, There's a lot more things involved. The, the ground effect, uh, you know, uh, rules mean that the car is very sensitive to ride height, so it's very circuit dependent or speed dependent, if you wish. 
And uh, also, the moment you find more downforce, the tires work better in a better window. So it's not like, uh, you know, sometimes we, we just concentrate on the, on the amount of downforce of wind tunnel points. It's a lot more complex than that. But I think that the ultimate goal is what we were always discussing, is just closing the gap to Red Bull. Is uh, Will that be enough for some teams to overtake in uh, 2024? We don't know really. I mean, but uh, that's that's the beauty about Formula One, you know. I mean, how much more downforce is Red Bull going to find in the next few months? Have they hit already their their ceiling? You know, there, there's so many questions that we should ask. It's not only what we can find, but what can they find as well? Well, I mean, Red Bull won the first race of this season, Bahrain, by 30 seconds. We've seen a lot of jostling for position behind them between Ferrari, Mercedes, Aston Martin and McLaren. But I'm not convinced anyone has actually closed the gap. OK, Max won the Japanese Grand Prix by 19.7 seconds. I don't think he was pushing in those last laps. And I'm sure he could have been nigh on 30 seconds ahead of Lando Norris if he'd wanted to be. That's a bit of a warning shot for everyone else, isn't it? Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, those type of tracks and possibly Qatar is similar uh, this weekend. Uh, it will be difficult to beat them. But what we have found out and is that uh, they are human, that they have circuits where the car is, is not as uh, dominant like Singapore. So it means that they have in some speed corners, some type of corners, they are not the fastest car. This is a, a bit of a bright light at the end of the tunnel for all of us in the sense that if we work if we develop our car in a very a very wide window we can actually get red bull as well or close the gap you know initially but we we will see we will see tom at the end of the day we don't know how much they will develop the car for next year so it's a it's a long shot there were some team orders that actually went under the radar at the end of the japanese grand prix and that Specifically, it was Alpine's decision to switch Pierre Gasly and Esteban Ocon on the final lap. Gasly, you may remember, was running in ninth towards the end of the race, having been given the green light to pass Ocon earlier to push his fresh hard tyres and chase Fernando Alonso in P8. When it became clear he was unable to catch Fernando, Alpine asked Gasly to give Ocon the position back. He did so on the final corner, but the Frenchman was clearly unhappy with this decision. Can we swap back round, please? Wait, what the f***? You're kidding me, Ayo. What are you saying? Like, I was faster. I want pressure rubber. We don't want to take him anyway. Yeah, we discussed it in the office. Let's please swap round, please. You confirm you want to swap? A firm, mate. A firm, please. Complete job. Awkward, testy racing drivers, Pedro. It seemed pretty clear that he should give the position back because Ocon had moved over for him. I think it was at the exit of 130R earlier in the race so that he could have a crack at Fernando. He didn't get past Fernando, so you swap back. That is the rule within their team. I'm not quite sure what Gasly didn't understand. Yes, I think that what we need to understand here is that all of the teams in, you know, uh, have a, what we call the rules of engagement. And there is some clear rules between teammates as to uh, what should happen in, in, in situations like this. So... I, I, I don't know what rules of engagement Alpine has, you know, but what, what I know is that in my whole career, I knew exactly at that point, if I'm given a position, I'm not fighting for with my teammate for a position, I will have to give it back uh, later on in the race if I don't make positions up the grid, up the ladder. So 
I, I don't I don't really know what what the, the the problem is to be honest Tom you know I mean there, there is some clear rules of engagement you just have to comply with them uh, you always have to think that the team is more important than the driver and it, it's exactly the same to finish uh, you know if you have Gasly and Ocon Ocon or Gasly it's the same for the team constructors point so uh, rules of engagement are there for a reason and it's up to the drivers really to comply with them and for the team to remind them about them. Ocon certainly in agreement with you. He responded afterwards saying, I've been with the team for four years. The rule has always been the same. If you swap the position, if you don't get the car in front, then you have to switch back before the end. There you go. I'm sure he understands now. I'm sure the debrief uh, would have made it clear to, to Gasly. But one thing, one important thing is that Gasly did let Ocon through. Because you can complain, you cannot be, you know, you can you can say whatever you want on the radio. But bottom line is that Gasly did what he was told, which is uh, the most important thing for a team. I tell you what, there's not much in it in terms of their head-to-head, though, TC. Qualifying, Ocon 7, Gasly 9. Race, Ocon 6, Gasly 7. And they've both had a third place. Ocon finishing on the podium in Monaco and Gasly doing it, of course, at Zandvoort. It's it's really close. You know, they're, they're two Frenchmen driving for a French team with very little to separate them. There's always going to be fireworks, I guess. But we said in the build-up to this relationship, we know when it was announced, we thought, oh, no, are they, these guys have got history. This is going to be terrible. And actually, it hasn't. They've been pretty civilised throughout. Very competitive. But um, it hasn't been the fireworks that we were predicting. Yeah, I, I thought that that Gasly has done very well as well. You know, first year in a new team against a very strong teammate such as Ocon, and he's been up there with him fighting, you know, uh, nearly every Grand Prix. So I'm I'm very impressed by Gasly's uh, job this season. Something very significant is happening in Milton Keynes as we speak. Milton Keynes in the UK because Daniel Ricciardo is driving the Red Bull simulator today to find out whether he is going to be fit for the Qatar Grand Prix. And we will find out later in the week how he's got on. Pedro, how realistic are these simulators in terms of him finding out whether his his left hand is strong enough to, to do a race? Well, they are very, very, very realistic, especially on the power steering level, assistance levels. So uh, Red Bull will be able to tune the, the power assistance to a level where they think it's realistic. They can even go further and make it even harder for Daniel so that uh, to realize, well, if if he had to push harder, would he have the strength, the needed strength? So I think that that, that, that will be very clarifying uh, if if he's capable or not to sustain the, the G-force levels, on especially the power, you know, the, the, the strength needed in the corners uh, of, uh, of Qatar. You remember when at the beginning of the season, uh, Lance broke his wrist and he, he he went into the simulator and that was the defining factor really for the team to get Lance flying into Bahrain and uh, being ready for the race. And he was ready. He was just about to be ready, but it was because the simulator test went well for him. Well, we're going to find out very quickly whether Daniel will be in Qatar or not. And that will, I suppose... There's one man who's really hoping that he's just still a little bit sore, probably, is Liam Lawson. Uh, what a phenomenal debut few races he's had in the Alpha Tauri. Pedro, were you surprised when Alpha Tauri came out and confirmed Yuki Tsunoda and Daniel Ricciardo for 2024? 
leaving Lawson on the sidelines? Well, not really, because uh, I think that poor Daniel, I mean, he hasn't had really a, a proper... I mean, a proper crack into into the season, really. Also, Yuki Yuki has done a fantastic job uh, this season. So, and and Liam has also done a great job. The few races that he's been there. I mean, actually, he has surprised many people, including myself. But would you take the gamble of you know? I mean, why why would you get Daniel out of the equation or Yuki? Have they done something particularly wrong to lose their jobs? No. But having said that, I think Liam has made a very good uh, has helped his his cause massively for the future it's not that he will disappear from the red bull lineup you know i think that he will be considered heavily for for the future i i thought uh, giving daniel a second opportunity after his crash his uh, broken hand is uh, is fair yuki deserves that that race drive for sure after what he's done especially this last season so all in all, it's a problem for Red Bull, in a way, for Alpha Tauri, because they have now three very good drivers. They had to decide on two. I don't think Red Bull had any other choice to, but to keep Daniel and Yuki. And I, I suppose the only issue comes in whether Liam thought he was ever in with the chance, because I don't believe he ever was. I think that this was his opportunity to show himself in the shop window, which he did a brilliant job of doing. And he staked his claim for the future. He's still only 21. I mean, he's going to have a very bright future. And this will be remembered. Being able to come in and hit the ground running in the way that he did was phenomenal. But to Pedro's point, was he ever really going to unseat a, a multiple race winner in Daniel or someone that's really stepped up since Nick de Vries left? In fact, when Nick de Vries joined, Yuki Tsunoda really upped his game because he knew he was under pressure and he's delivered in a very difficult car. The car's only really come good, ironically, with the upgrades since Liam's got into it. So it's, it's, it's quite difficult to compare them anyway. I agree, fully agree. But what is the job of that team? Is it to develop young drivers? Yeah, but as we've seen, TC, it is it is to develop young drivers, but they've got programmes in place to do that. But you equally need an experienced driver alongside a new young driver in order to to share data, develop the car and the guy on the other side of the garage to you. Like Daniel's worth his weight in gold to that team in terms of marketing, in terms of experience, in terms of morale. Pinks, I'm in no way dissing Daniel Ricciardo in saying that. I'm wondering, there, to me, there is there are four Red Bull drivers on the grid. One of them isn't performing as well as he should at the moment, and that is Sergio Perez. So I'm thinking... In the corridors of power in Salzburg, actually, should Daniel Ricciardo step up to the big team, to Red Bull Racing for 2024, leaving Liam Lawson and Yuki Tsunoda at Alpha Tauri? That's really, I think, the question that they are asking themselves. Well, I, I would agree. And I think had Daniel not had that really unfortunate crash and it had he come in and put in really solid performances for Alpha Tauri, then that's what would be happening. Whether he's got the opportunity in the last six races, I guess, I guess he has. If he comes back for Qatar, I mean, today is a big day for him. Personally, would be saying, don't rush it. Like You don't have to prove yourself, although I'm contradicting myself there, because if he does put in a phenomenal performance at Alpha Tauri, which we know he's capable of, then yes, he is putting pressure on Sergio Perez. And then you've got room for Liam Lawson as well in the in the junior team. Tom, you remember when we had uh, Christian Horner here in F1 Nation? What he said was very interesting. He said that, you know, after the Silverstone Grand Prix, there was a test. Uh, and Daniel, after I think he said 11 laps or 9, 11 laps, 
did it times capable of, of being in the top five in the grid for the British Grand Prix. So uh, I think that that gave uh, Daniel a chance in Alpha Tauri, given the fact that they want to be covered just in case whatever happened with Checo, you know, if they had no doubts that Checo would be like, uh, you know, close to Max, uh, then they, they wouldn't have taken Daniel. But the fact that they are not sure what can happen in the future, I'm, that's, that's a bit what Christian told us. So all in all, what I'm saying is Alpha Tauri is a team meant to give young drivers opportunities. Yes, but I think that they are using it for a different purpose at this moment in time. Christian was being very diplomatic, I felt, when he came on the show a couple of months ago, though, Pedro. I felt he was still talking about 2025, not 2024. And I'm just wondering whether they need to accelerate that if Checo doesn't doesn't get it together in these last six races. But we haven't got long to wait, have we? It is a big if because we know Checo can do it. We know he's got the talent. Oh, think back to the opening four races, Pinks. Those opening races of the season, he won two races. It was sensational. So, but equally... He's got to deliver. But the, the the races that Checo, if Checo doesn't crash on the first few laps or has a problem or has to uh, do an extra pit stop for whatever reason, a front wing, the races that he's finished without any trouble, even if he's qualified very, very much at the back, he's always finished in the top four, top five, or has, has, has been in the podium. So all he needs to do really is to be Checo on a Sunday and don't get too anxious on a, on a Saturday. It doesn't really matter where he will qualify. He will always be fighting for a podium at the end of the of the race if he doesn't have, have a, a first lap crash. He has the pace, you know, in the races. I mean, there's no question about that. There's no reason to panic. Before you boys go anywhere, there's a couple of other bits of business that I want to discuss. Jess Hawkins. Pedro, this is a huge day for Aston Martin, for Jess, for women in motorsport, because Jess became the first woman to test an F1 car since 2018 when she drove the AMR21 in Budapest. How did she get on? What can we expect from her in the future? Jess is a good mate of mine. I'm so proud of her. I think the future's bright, and I think it's just... I don't know, it's just a shot in the arm for any woman out there thinking of a future in Formula One. I think it's a, a great statement from the team, from Jess uh, and from motorsport, from Formula One generally. Absolutely, Natalie. I'm, and I'm very glad you asked this question because, I mean, Jessica has been a very inspirational part of the team and uh, what she did in, in, in Budapest was very impressive not only because she jumped into a Formula One car, but uh, I would give her credit for how she prepared that test in the simulator, in a very professional manner, giving it 100%. And then she was actually very, very strong in the test. She was fast straight away. Uh, she got used to it uh, immediately. So very impressive indeed. We were all very proud of her, really. Oh, that is music to my ears. That is so cool to hear. No, she's uh, she's an incredible woman, I would say, an incredible person. And one thing that I loved from her is the fact that she worked very hard to prepare for that test. But when she came out of the car, the first thing she said, she thanked the team for how much time they gave her and uh, how hard they had worked for her, you know, uh, in the team. It's not that she only worked hard, that she thanked the people for working hard for her. And and this is something that I really, really appreciate and just gives you a glimpse of who Jessica Hawkins is and how much we love her in the team. 
I would love to see her have another test as well. Definitely. Continue the journey. See how far she can go. See how she develops from one test to the next. And let's face it, Pedro, she had a great tutor in, uh, in you, Pedro, of course. I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, the podium finisher in the Hungarian Grand Prix all those years ago. She, she, she doesn't need tutors like myself. I think she's uh, more than capable of learning faster and alone. But uh, she, she's a quick learner as well. And uh, she's very fit. There's something that people don't realize. I mean, uh, she's very strong as well. She works very hard. So, yeah, I'm with you guys. I really hope that she has more opportunities. Great stuff. That is so good to hear. Now, talking of having to learn fast, uh, Logan Sargent has had a tough rookie year at Williams. And I want to get your thoughts before we go just on what he needs to do and how the team need to support him because I'm hearing from the inside that they really do want to support him. They really want to get the best out of him. My heart sank when I saw him crash in quali in Japan. I just thought, God, it's, it just must be soul destroying for him to step out of the car, the whole pit lane to have to stop with a red flag because of something that he's done and, and how mentally you overcome those challenges. I mean, it's going to be hard for him, but hopefully he's got the uh, the support he needs to get there. Yeah, I think that the, the situation with Logan is quite clear to me that he has the backing from the team, the support from Everyone at the Williams team, they're all trying to help him uh, find the, the consistency he needs. And when you, as a racing driver, feel that uh, level of support, it makes your life a lot easier. So I don't think that uh, he's under pressure for sure, but he has the backing from the team. And I remember in, in 2006, when I was, uh, I was replacing Juan Pablo Montoya, and it was like I was never given more than one Grand Prix at a time. And after each Grand Prix, I was told may you will have another opportunity you will have another opportunity Lewis Hamilton was waiting on the bench to replace me so that was making me very anxious and I think uh, that that really cost me a lot of uh, speed I would say or confidence so with Logan it's very different he has the team confidence uh, backing support James Bowles is very good at that as well and he's been uh, he knows how to treat young drivers so i'm very confident that logan will will manage to keep his drive for next year can i ask you both one question yes or no should rookies be given more than one year in the sport it very much depends also for which which team do you drive for you know there are teams that have more more that are more patient than others uh, red bull doesn't normally doesn't have that patience i mean if you look at nick debris you know after a few races he was out so it very much depends who you drive for and how much trust they have in your capabilities but formula one is a meritocracy only the best drivers are meant to be in formula one and if you're a rookie and you're good enough look at oscar piastri you fly and uh if you're not good enough then you don't survive. It's it's a harsh business, but that is what Formula One is. And actually, thinking of Logan Sargent, he appreciates that, understands that as well as anyone. He uses the word meritocracy when describing what he's got to do to stay in Formula One. He understands that. Rookies understand that. I think every driver understands that. All right, then, let's talk predictions for this weekend. It is a sprint race, so we'll have to include the sprint and the Grand Prix. I need six names from all of us, really. Who wants to go first? Well, I'll go first, man, because I think that uh, I have to be consistent with what I've said in the show. And the thing is that my prediction for Sunday 
is the copy paste from uh, the podium in Suzuka. Max winning, Lando and, and Oscar. And, and there's no question mark whatsoever that Max will win the championship on a Saturday. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, unfortunately, not a very interesting prediction from, from my side. And, and do you think that'll be the same in the sprint as well on Saturday, that top three? Should be, yes. It, it might be a bit different uh, because it will be more dependent on the first lap performance from the drivers you know there's no pit stop really to to play uh, strategies uh, but I, I will still go for the same okay Verstappen Norris Piastri for Pedro Pinks well I'm gonna really mix it up for the sprint because I think that's kind of what sprints for I'm gonna say uh, that um, there'll be a Ferrari a Mercedes and an Aston Martin up there <laughs> nice <laughs> nice go Natalie on, give us some names <laughs> What's happened to Max? And Checo? What happened with Checo? I mean, you've just... <laughs> oh, yeah, no, Max, I want him to win it. Yeah. And the, oh, yeah. Okay, so Max is going to win it, but then I think that um, Lewis will get on the podium and I think that um, Charles will get on the podium. Oh, no, what about Aston Martin? I want Fernando up there as well. Mm-hmm. I think you have to get Max out again. But I do have to say, the cut and paste from Pedro's prediction for the race suits me as well I think I think the McLarens will be up there I think they're just on this great run of form and I think it will it will continue in Qatar well I think Max is going to win the sprint and he's going to win the championship at the same time I don't I, I feel that Lando Norris is due his first win in Formula One and if that car well, yeah is as good as we think it's going to be a little bit of misfortune, maybe. You know, remember we had those four punches two years ago. Just a little bit of misfortune for Max and Norris is in there. So I, I'm going to go a Norris victory this weekend. Wow. You've actually thought about this. Closely pursued by his teammate, Oscar Piastri. And then I think Checo Perez is going to have dusted himself down after Singapore and Japan. And he's going to put in a solid performance and uh, he's going to be on the third step of the podium on Sunday. So it's it's Norris, Piastri and Perez only because some, some kind of misfortune has fallen the way of Max Verstappen. So you realise that by by giving that prediction, you, you're saying that Max will win on Saturday, the World Championship. Yeah. Yeah, I think he will win it on Saturday. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Let's check in with our fantasy team now. F1 Nation Racing. We finished with 273 points in Suzuka, which moved us up the standings for the second race in a row. We're now 761st in the F1 Nation World Championship. MLN Racing continues to lead the way with a 41-point advantage over the Incident 2.0 in second. But we have a new team in P3 because RadioCheck has leapfrogged Fumil Mainz and Blank BGP into the final podium position. So that battle is getting really spicy. And we're going to shake things up ourselves for Qatar and take a few risks based on some of our rather bold podium predictions. Lewis Hamilton is coming in for Max Verstappen. We've also replaced Fernando Alonso, sorry Pedro, with Carlos Sainz. And we've brought Mercedes in for Red Bull as one of our constructors. So that's a lineup of Hamilton, Sainz, Norris, Piastri and Albon with Mercedes and McLaren as our teams. Let's see if our gamble pays off. 
Now remember, F1 Fantasy is free to play and you can join our league at any time. Just go to fantasy.formula1.com and search for the F1 Nation World Championship to compete against us and other listeners. And remember, Qatar is a sprint weekend, so you'll need to make any changes to your team before the start of qualifying for Sunday's race on Friday. Well, guys, thanks very much for your time. It's been great to to have you on the show. Thank you for listening at home. And don't forget to catch this week's F1 Beyond the Grid with George Russell. That's available from Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. But we'll be back next Monday with our review of the Qatar Grand Prix. But for now, F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios. Cheerio. So.